Are our thoughts really our own? Our Matrix mentor today, Deborah E. Blaine, MD, has practiced medicine for over 30 years and watched the changes that has turned patients into customers and medicine into an industry whose sole objective is profit. We could see how opioid pandemic has destroyed families across the globe, and that's just one pharmaceutical that causes harm. On today's episode, our guest Deborah and I, your host Sam Aiko, will discuss if our thoughts are really our own. Deborah E. Blaine, MD, is a retiring physician who has recently become the author of medical and political theory, th- thrillers. Offering a gentler platform for people who safely examine why they hold the beliefs they do. From there, they can better decide if these beliefs actually serve them and how they can reclaim their future and freedom of choice. She also writes about the effects of greed and what has become of the business of healthcare instead of it being an essential human service. She has so far released the books Undo Influences and Code Blue, The Other End of the Stethoscope. Have both received awards. Her third no- novel is a dystopian fiction called Beyond the Pillars of Salt and just became available the first weeks of September 2022. It postulates that we are risking our own extinction if we do not learn to become more worthy human beings. She is also self-published and as a coach, she guides other authors to do the same so they can keep all their royalties and pay no publisher's fees. Follow our show and bookmark our podcast so you don't miss out on our fantastic Matrix mentors. Welcome to the Organic Matrix, Deborah. Can you tell us a little bit about your medical journey and how you transitioned to becoming an author? Thank you so much, Sam. This is so exciting and I really appreciate your inviting me on. Um, so I started my, my writing journey because I was so frustrated in medicine. I feel like the medical profession really let us down, like betrayed us, the doctors. Um, so. I started to write about it because I wanted people, I wanted the lay public to know what's going on. Um, but I couldn't put it in a, a nonfiction book because I didn't want to be liable. I didn't want anybody, any corporate moguls coming after me and say, oh, you said these bad things about our organization. We're going to sue you or whatever. So I made it a fiction, um, which is how I just, I discovered that I love writing fiction. So what inspired me in the beginning is that, um, and I wrote that book, came out in 2019. And it was before the pandemic came on, so it came upon us. And but things just have gotten that just accentuated everything. So um, we're not doctors anymore, by the way. We're providers. Um, I always think of an internet service provider. <laughs> um, where you know I didn't go to provider school, but um, so that's a one way that there's like a demeaning effect on us and and what what our knowledge base is. Um, but so we're now told how many patients per hour we're supposed to see, how many procedures we're supposed to order, how many, um, how, and how happy we're supposed to keep our customers. Like you're not a patient anymore. You're a customer. You're a consumer of healthcare. And so you get all this advertising that's aimed at you. Um, and what are the things that are important to, to people in, in the marketing arena? It's convenience, right? How quick and how easy it is. And, and to be happy with what you got. So if you're going shopping at Best Buy for, I'm not trying to pick on Best Buy, but for Apple TVs or something, you want to be able to get in and out on your own timeline, get all your questions answered and pick the TV you want and walk out the door and maybe get a, you know, sometimes you can get a deal at, at Best Buy. People don't know that, but if you ask, sometimes you can. Um, 
But healthcare really doesn't obey the same rules. You know, you sometimes you walk in an office and there's one or two people in front of you. And it turns out that one of those people is much more critical and needs more time. And so you have to wait. Um, even if you're just there for your flu shot, you may have to wait for somebody who's doing, you know, who, who needs an EKG or who needs oxygen or, and, and a transport to the hospital or something. So I work in an urgent care. So we kind of see everything. Um, so promising the public that you can be in and out in less than an hour is not always realistic because it's a walk-in clinic. And then inviting patients to fill out customer satisfaction surveys you know, and, and it's amazing because patients fill that out. Sometimes they didn't like the coffee creamer selection in the waiting room. So they, um, they, they just give you a zero or, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever. And that reflects on us. And sometimes they want something that they really shouldn't have. Like they want antibiotics and the antibiotics are not indicated and it's causing a lot of resistance across the entire planet. And it's, it's actually detrimental. Or maybe they want steroids. Steroids make everybody feel fabulous. But that doesn't mean they should have them. Steroids reduce the effectiveness of our immune systems. But, you know, you take steroids and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, it's almost like taking speed sometime for some people. And so everybody wants their steroids. But, you know, it's not, it's, it's not appropriate in many instances. So when we have to say no to those things, we get downgraded. And then when we have, you know, if we don't have a high enough satisfaction, and by the way, so all the questions you get, if you've ever been to a doctor who has asked you how your visit was, um, they may ask you all kinds of questions, but the things they're not interested in, even if they ask is, uh, was your problem solved? Do you feel better? Um, you know, were you treated effectively? And, you know, all they want to know is how likely are you to come back to their system again, as opposed to going to the other healthcare system down the block. It's the only thing they're interested in. And so if you get, if you give lower scores, even if the person treating you is doing the right thing, the, the doctor then gets a smaller bonus. If you're talking about an emergency room, those lower scores translate to lower payments from Medicare to the hospital. So, like, it's kind of amazing, right? Medicare says, oh, you're not keeping your patients happy. We're not going to pay you for this cardiac procedure that we did. You know, it's um, people don't know this. And so um, so I wrote this book, Code Blue, The Other End of the Stethoscope, because it was what happens on from our side, from the other end of the stethoscope, and, and what we go through trying to just do the right thing and just, like, take care of people and, and make sure they get what they need. And, you know, I'm sorry, I can't drop everything to swab your throat because you're exposed to strep when I've got somebody who can't breathe over here is having an anaphylactic reaction. I just can't do that. But in the part of the world where I work, um, we have a large population of what I, I mean, I have to just say it, of entitled and demanding people who want what they want when they want it. And so it becomes very difficult, very frustrating. And then, of course, they do call us providers and they lump us together with the um, the mid-level people who um, trained for much less time and have much less experience. And um, so I'm talking about NPs and PAs. And, and so I've worked with some amazingly competent NPs and PAs. I'm not bashing them in any way, um, but it's not equivalent. I mean, if you have a PA who's been working for 25 years versus a doctor who just graduated residency, there might be a few things that the PA has seen that the, that the doctor hasn't seen yet. No argument. But in general, the amount of knowledge that we are given and we have to commit to memory and to understand is so far beyond that it's really not equivalent. So it's really degrading to us. And um, so I, I wrote this book 
And I, a friend of mine really kept um, encouraging me. She said, people want to know this. People want to know this. I said, okay. But it was kind of a daunting thing because it was like, how do you write a whole book? I'd never written a book before. I've written an article maybe or a paper for, for college back in the day, you know? So, um, so I wrote it in little pieces. I wrote little patient encounters. And every one of the encounters in the book is based on a real life um, episode of someone who came into the office and, and needed, you know, some help with something. And, and so it actually, it made my day go by much better because when somebody would come in and there would be something absolutely outrageous, instead of getting like, like, ah, it's happening, you know, I'm going to get a bad score on this. And I just thought, I'm going to write about that. And I would scribble a couple of notes on a piece of paper and stuff it in my pocket. And, and so it, it kind of, it reframed my experience of my days. So it was really, really helpful. Um, but then I had to make it, you know, like I said, a fiction. Um, I studied with a mentor a bit who, cause I, what did I know about writing thrillers, you know, but, um, he taught me a whole lot. His name was Rich Cravolin. He was a, um, he's a retired professor from, um, Southern California university. He's a screenwriter. And so he taught me how to create suspense. So the story within code blue is the Russian oligarchs have hacked into our electronic medical records. Now this was in 2019 before we had all this stuff with Russia right now. So they hacked into our electronic medical records and they um, took that information and extorted millions of dollars from patients and then murdered them. And so <laughs> the doctor that you follow, it's a, it's a story. I mean, the doctor that you follow is, um, becomes a target and there's a I don't want to tell you all about the book but there's an old boyfriend who's trying to warn her and she doesn't want anything to do with him anymore I'm not going back to all that you know you hurt you broke my heart go away but um anyway so that's kind of the the story in the book and I actually really enjoyed writing the thriller part much more than I enjoyed reliving the office in order to you know to to put the book together so um so that was that book and and it was I actually, so since I'm republishing my books now, um, because I make so much more money when I publish them myself and I have such great visibility. So like I can tell almost by the day, like within 24 hours, I can tell when there's been another sale. I can tell which book it was, whether it was Kindle or whether it was the paperback and, and, you know, and I can see, you know, cause I've got, and I've got some ads running on it and it's just so much more. Um, I mean, before that, I was, it was taking, like, it would take six months for me to get a report from my publisher. They were wonderful. I love my publisher. Nothing bad about my publisher, but that's like the publishing world. It's just, you know, they would give the book to Ingram Spark, who would then take their cut, and then they would farm it out to, say, Amazon or Barnes & Noble or whatever, who would take their cut. And then by the time it would get back to me, um, and then you have to, of course, subtract the cost of printing the book. So by the time it would get back to me, I was getting about a buck per book. And now um, I'm getting like for it, like the books up on Amazon and I can see when they get sold. Um, so Amazon takes 60%. They do that. Sorry, 40%. They do that for everybody. And then you have to subtract the type of printing, the cost of printing the book and I get the rest. And so um, it's just, it's, it's just a lot more like I, I realize I'm never going to make any money going through a publisher. So Anyway, so I'm doing that. And so this book is now republished. And well, it will be, it should be up within a week. Um, so then I started writing. Where am I? Where else do you want me to go with that? Do you want me to go to the next book yet? Or do you have questions about that? I don't want to just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> um, well, 
Oh, I would love for you to continue telling us about your book. They sound so fascinating. Okay, so um, so after that, you know, I, I really, I really loved writing books, writing, writing thriller books, and and but I didn't want to just write a story. I wanted to say something important in the book. Like, I, you know, people told me in the first book you could take out all the office stuff and just write the thriller. But it was like, but I wanted to say something like there's a lot of books out there and a lot of them are really exciting and fun to read. And does the world need one more book from me? Um, so I wanted to say something. So after I did that book, I, I started looking around at all the extremism that we're experiencing and how people don't talk to each other. Families are, you know, have stopped talking to each other and people just kind of, I don't know, there's this, this weird sort of cult um, phenomenon that's going on and it's, you know, and, and it's not just on one side, you know, the other side is a little bit quieter about it, but there's, it's, it's on both sides and, you know, people just sort of get rah, rah and they jump on their particular platform. And, um, and it really disturbs me. And where does that come from? So I wrote, I wrote my other book. This is, this one I'll show you. The other one's not up yet. So this is Undue Influences. And, um, it is, and it's also been recently republished and, it's about um, it's about the extremist situation. So there's there's a man who so so, so in this book there's actually this is something completely outrageous. The government is actually brainwashing us with drugs. Couldn't possibly happen, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> it's a story. Um, but it's you know whether they're using drugs or they're not, there is a certain amount of brainwashing that's going on. So um, there's uh, it opens up with. The, this person who's really the, the the protagonist, his his nephew shows up in his office in Sixth Avenue in New York City, and he's covered in blood, but he has no recollection of what's happened to him for the last several days, and they take him to the hospital, and none of the blood is his, and so the uncle who's the protagonist gets sort of thrust into the middle of you know trying to figure out what happened to his nephew. And realizes that he, that there's, that there's this brainwashing thing going on and that he is in this strange situation that he is one of the few people who's immune to it. He's not, he can't be affected by this drug and it has something to do with something that happened in his childhood. But when he realizes this, um, he's, the, the forces that are controlling things also realize this about him and they they each both sides it's like from both sides of the political spectrum they want him to um, come onto their side and help they want they want him to use this gift that he has to aid them in their schemes of control and power which is what you know everybody seems to strive for because it seems like it's so important um, and of course and if he doesn't comply and help them out he's going to die like he, they have no use for him because the, then he becomes a liability because he knows um, as opposed to being an asset so he's sort of jockeying between the two sides and trying to keep himself alive and yet he's trying to explain to people like his wife um, you know that, that you really have to think things out you can't just go blindly into things just because all your friends are doing it or just because you like this you know organization and and you think that they're everything you know and, and you want to just jump on with them and belong you know we we have this we have this need in in our society just human a human one of our human needs is for connection but sometimes we confuse that with the need for conformity and so instead of being able to connect with someone and say, you know, um, 
I really appreciate you for all your differences. And I would love to listen to your music and try out your food and get to know you because we have, we're humans, right? We have so much in common. And isn't it wonderful to see all those differences instead of doing that? Um, we tend, we have a tendency frequently to feel like I have to be just like you or you have to be just like me. And if that's not the case, we're, we can't, we can't be friends. And it's such a loss. You know, we lose so much. I mean, who wants to just look at the gray all the time? I want color in my life. So, um, so that book is, um, in, in the end, you know, I, I could hard, I had a hard time getting through that book because I couldn't figure out how I was going to end it. And, and I realized finally that there's no way I can solve this problem in this one book. Like this is a human, a human problem that we're not, you know, like what, what are the things, what are the things that we, that get in the way of our, of our really thinking? So we're born into the world, right? And our parents tell us, um, and they're doing the best they can. They mean the best, you know, like they, they love us, right? They tell us, you know, what kinds of things are appropriate, what's not appropriate. And these aren't necessary lessons, you know, where we should, where we should go in life, what we should strive for, what we, you know, what, what we shouldn't go for, what we must, where we mustn't go. And in some ways they feel like they're protecting us. Sometimes they may say, you know, I, I, I think you can, you can be an engineer or you can do anything you want but their behavior tells us something else and children listen with more than their ears. And no matter what you say to your kids, I have the experience. He's 31 years old, God willing next week. Um, you know, children will, they learn from you. They, they don't learn just from what you say to them. They learn from how they see you behave and you can't hide anything from your kids. So whatever, whatever the parents beliefs are tend to get transmitted to the, to the children but it's not just the parents. So then they get older and they go to school and they want to fit in with their friends, right? They want to connect, but they think they need to conform. And, and so they want to do everything that their friends do. And if their friends are all saying, you know, this restaurant's great, they're going to go there and say, yeah, that restaurant's great because it makes them feel connected. But they're not really thinking through, oh, you know, this restaurant is slaughtering cows in an inhuman way. And if I go over there to the organic place, they're doing things in a different way. And it's better for the, you know, they don't really necessarily get to that. Um, it's also, you know, when, when we, when we uh, subscribe to a particular party, we feel like we have to subscribe to everything that that party does. And so like, you know, it's entirely possible to be against abortion and pro-choice, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, but, but it doesn't come out like that. It's, it's like one way or the other and people are slamming you over the head over it. You know, like, I don't think people should use abortion as birth control. I think you should be avoided at all costs, but because, it, you know, it's a potential life. For me, it's a potential life. Um, but if it threatens the life of the mother, or if it was a result of rape or incest or something, or the, the you know, the, the mother is 12 years old and is going to completely destroy her life and still got to go over the trauma of having been raped, then, you know, I think it's appropriate. I mean, some of these things, you know, if, the, if it's a, an ectopic pregnancy, which means that the, the little zygote <laughs> embedded itself in the fallopian tube, not the uterus, it's not even a viable pregnancy. There is no way that that baby can possibly be born and it can kill mother as it gets larger. And then there's some of these people that say, no, 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 we can't do abortion. Like what's wrong with you? Are you not thinking, you know, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. what I'm seeing now is that 
reports are saying that there's more elderly population than there are babies. And because we're in this capitalistic society, it's as if, you know, we're their cash cows. And they want, because who's going to pay for Roe versus Wade being reversed? The people in the lower middle class and middle class and those in the ghettos. People who, A, lack education, B, in stressful environments looking for social soothing. Because that's the number one way to get oxytocin. It's just, I totally agree with you. It's it's not rational. It's not reasonable. And it doesn't stand by the principles of us being in a free country. I 100% agree. Um, but what it does do is it puts certain factions in a greater position of power. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing to do in these th- cases is to really examine what's the agenda behind the person who's telling you what to do. And... You know, I was listening to, I don't usually watch this, and I was like really annoyed with myself for watching this. It was really depressing me. But it was this, um, something, some crime thing, some like real life crime. I can't remember the name of it, but it was someone in, it was Wisconsin, a woman who had been using drugs. When she found out she was pregnant, she stopped using the drugs. She told her doctor because she was worried about the baby. The doctor was forced to report it. I don't know what the story was there or or if somebody looks at their medical records. And then she was arrested for causing harm to her unborn child. And it was just like, like, how does this work? Like, you're supposed to be able to tell your doctor. I I don't, I didn't, you know, like I was sort of half watching it. Like, this can't really be happening in 2022. I think it was happening in 2021, which is bad enough. So... Yeah, I mean, but but it's it's about, and, and you know, it's like, so they're also trying, you know, there are factions that are, are trying to prevent the use of birth control. And if you can't give someone birth control, how can you then say they can't have an abortion? I, you know, it just, it's not making any sense unless you look at, there's a group of, and I'm not like a, I'm not a paranoid person, but there's, you know, there's a group of people out there that don't want women to have have rights and have mobility and have just the ability to be a person so and so the so what are the the places that really affect us our government you know um which is why i made it about government but also um you know the the there are other ways that they do this so it's very insidious the advertisements that we see um someone just told me that that this year um, the average person in America is subjected to 4,000 advertisements a day. And it's like, you know, it, it's just so fast. And, you know, it gives us a little ADD, a lot of ADD. It's impossible to evaluate everything we see. There's just too much data coming at us. And it's much easier to say, oh, yeah, I think my friend was talking about that. Yeah, that's good. You know, instead, it's harder to say, I don't have an opinion about that. I, I don't like when, it, you know, somebody asks you a question and you don't have a, they, they ask you to, to, to make a, and to form an opinion about whether something's good or bad. You know, there's always another side. And we used to have this thing in this country called the fairness doctrine. And it was established, I think in 1949, but don't quote me on that. And it said that for a journalist to hold a broadcast license they had on, for anything that was controversial, they were required to present both sides of the issue. If they didn't do that, they could lose their license to broadcast. It had to otherwise be clearly labeled opinion. 
They could write opinion, but they couldn't call it news. So what happened around 1987? They decided that it was, it presented a chilling effect on free speech and it was aborted. So now you don't have to present both sides and you see what happens, right? You know, you, you know what side you're going to get by which TV show you do or which media outlet you look at. And, and so if you're only looking at one side, you're not going to even hear the other side and both sides are, you know, have gone so far to the extreme anyway that, you know, the, the truth, I don't even know if the truth's in the middle because I don't, it's really hard to know, you know, what's actually fact and what is just this opinion. So the New York Times, they, they'll be doing their morning, you know, news thing and I'll be reading it and all of a sudden the guy will be talking about his friend or how he feels about this. I'm like, this is not supposed to be an opinion. I don't want to hear your voice. It's, it's supposed to be just the facts, ma'am. You know, just, that, that's what it's supposed to be, right? It, there used to be a show, Dragnet, and, and the uh, detective Jack Friday would be with his pen and his paper. He'd be like, just the facts, ma'am. And it's like, we've lost that. So, um, so between, and, and then you're, the things that you get, like if you're on the web looking for something, the advertisements that flash at you, you ever notice there are things that you've looked at in the past? Like, or talking thing, about. <laughs> or talking about, yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's it knows us so well that it's only showing us things that it feels will reinforce where we already are. Why? Because it wants to sell their product. Not, not because they thought we would think it's interesting, but because it wants us to spend our money on their website. That's their agenda. The political agenda, I think, is more about control. Um, at least one side is more about control and the other side, I don't know. I think it might be a little bit more about just reactivity. Um, and, and I think that they have, you know, they have a, I, there's more of a platform on the other side and, and I agree with more of it. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I refuse, <laughs> but, um, I, I tend to be a little left of center and I'm very much, you know, a proponent of human rights. But sometimes I think that it's not enough to just say, yes, uh, we need to do this. You have to like think about it, you know? So the other side says, well, it's really expensive. Who's going to pay for that? And it's not that we shouldn't do it, but we need to account for that. You know, it used to be that if we had, if you and I had a disagreement about something, we could talk about why we feel that way. And then maybe we could come to a compromise that would satisfy both of our concerns because we could both have legitimate concerns about different sides of the same issue, but we can't do that anymore. So, um, so that was why I wrote that book. And then I wrote the, the sequel to Undue Influences, which is a dystopian, and it's called Beyond the Pillars of Salt. I'm going to move it outside the thing. And it's, um, it's kind of, uh, it presents one possible outcome if we continue on our present journey. And so in, in Beyond the Pillars of Salt, um, our dictator, our, our government has become a dictatorship because there's no more uh, fair elections. I was so happy to see that the elections, uh, we didn't have people, too many people saying, I'm not 
you know, abiding by the election, you know, because it, I was afraid of that, you know, that people would say, well, the election didn't go my way, so it must be rigged. You know, that's there goes democracy right out the window. So in Beyond the Pillars of Salt, that's exactly what's happened. And it's been our government's been it's a story. It's just a story. Government's been taken over by dictatorship. And then there's also the problem that the planet is reclaiming itself. I call it the climate yeah. is changing to the point where um, it will not support mammalian life or life as we know it. And, you know, on some other some other species will take over in a few hundred years and, you know, they'll be better adapted and the earth will go on, but it'll go on without us um, if we're not careful. So in this book, you know, there's a, a lot of um, planetary upheavals. And, and so um, this this group of people who are who were from the first Trump undue influences who found a little place in the Catskills to sort of set up a compound and try to keep themselves separated and they start to realize they have to leave and so how do they leave they have to leave the planet and so that is um and they get to um i won't tell you how the, I, don't, I mean I, I guess i can tell you because the the um i'm now starting a science fiction series from there on the planet that they arrived on and that's called meraki and um so meraki in greek means something that you put your whole soul into something you do with love um and so that's the name of the planet and that's the name of the indigenous people but our humans haven't met them yet so, <laughs> so oh my gosh um, so those are my three books but those more important is the message which is you know we don't want beyond the pillars of salt to happen and you know but we have to take some really serious steps and it's it's uncomfortable and and we live in a society where we don't want any delayed gratification i mean that's the problem with the greed that's in the American healthcare system. That's the problem with what's going on in government. We don't want it. Nobody wants delayed gratification. Nobody wants to work at anything. You know, I don't want to say nobody, but a lot of people don't want to. It's very true. And as we're being conditioned to have those kind of shorter attention spans, and we can see in our population's state of mental health and like the rates of how anxiety and depression is becoming more common. So we're hyper stimulated. Yes, 100%. And also, so you brought up the opiate uh, epidemic. Um, I think we have a worse epidemic, and it's not it's not COVID, and it's not even the opiate epidemic. It's the addiction to more. I call it the addiction to more. We just want more. We don't know why we want more. We want more things, more money, more power, more like you know, Elon Musk wants another organization. <laughs> you know, just more, more, more. And it's just like any other addict or any other addiction, there's a point where it doesn't make sense anymore. It's like, you know, if you're an alcoholic, there's a point where you're really not getting what you originally wanted. You're not getting that 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 feeling that you used to get from alcohol. You're not getting the feeling, you're not getting the rush from the cocaine anymore. You're just sort of, you know, sliding by and and thinking that you want more because there's there's a like a, a pathway in the brain that's now been activated, a reinforcement pathway that says, give me more, give me more, give me more. And you have to somehow cut that. But when it comes to people in power or people who just want more money and want more things, they, they don't really stop to think, well, wait a minute, what have I got? Is it good? Is it okay? So um, it's it, it's very complicated, but it's actually also very simple. We, you know, if people could just stop, just stop and 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 just appreciate who we are and what and how do we do that? So um, I'm a firm believer in connecting with nature, and and I think that when we can 
like even on a day, I don't know where you're located, but it's cold out today. It's like, it's not getting out of the forties, but I mean, I kind of love this weather as long as it's not 25 degrees with a wind, you know, wind of 19 miles an hour. But you know, I, it's, it's just, the air is really fresh. And when the sun is out, like it is today and to just kind of breathe it in and just like experience the trees a little bit and you know like if you go walk your dog i have cats not dogs but um at the moment but if you walk your dog pay attention to your dog don't be on your cell phone while the dog is out like live it you know and people walk their babies in carriages they're on their cell phone you think that kid doesn't even as a baby doesn't sense that your attention is not on them i mean you know they they feel it the dog feels it you know just to be with be with yourself and it's a scary place to be sometime because we don't know ourselves so well anymore we don't take the time to know ourselves so the idea of looking within can be frightening because we're not sure we'll like what we find yes i completely resonate with everything that you say and i feel like your observation is so key because i i feel like i've observed almost every component that you mentioned in this in this conversation like we, we can only imagine like if, if number one abuse for children is not assault is not um physical trauma but neglect mm -hmm. now we're going to see a generation of very aggressive children who don't know how to self-regulate because they're already during the industrial revolution to the baby boomers of all the work they had to put in working now we have this technology era but we're not present in our bodies and we're also working just as much, if not more, because of our attention spans. Yesterday, I read a study about the difference between adults diagnosed with ADHD or ADD and children born with it. Children born with it don't usually have depression as a symptom with their diagnosis. But what they're seeing is adults that develop ADD or ADHD in the future develop, are developing proteins that turn on depression within the body because they know they're not living in their design, but somehow their epigenetics, the epigenetics of the adults that are losing their attention, is being passed on to this child, and therefore the child is beginning life exactly where the parent left off. Yeah, that's that's a scary thought. It's it's a it is a really scary thought. We're also raising a generation of people. I mean, some of them are already grown up who have no coping skills. Yeah. They're they're not able to handle disappointment they're not able to um if things don't go their way to be able to say okay um that didn't work what else can i try they you know they, they and part of it is like you know when i was growing up if you were if you finished number one on the team there was like there was there was one two and three there was the first place second place third place now you got like the 12th place winner like everybody should have a prize why because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but the problem with that is, is if that children don't learn to deal with hurt feelings as adults or as older children, they're not going to be able to deal with those feelings at all. And we live in a world where not everything's going to go their way all the time and they need to, fit, to be able to deal with frustration. And the only way you learn to deal with frustration is to be frustrated by something and find a way around it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then what's going to happen with domestic violence in like, in the future because like when we're like what, what mo most of the time when we're in love there is a lot of moments of regression because our partners you know are kind of taking a place in helping us heal our inner child or inner teenager mm -hmm. because 
they're the person that we have wants from and the last person we probably had wants towards was our parents so now you know we face rejection in our romantic relationships which dramatically triggers us and then there's concern with our entitlement controlling tendencies and us not being connected to our bodies leaving us vulnerable to our primitive urges and not interpreting our emotions the right way i'm 25 years old and it took me till this year to understand that my feelings don't justify my behavior and that's well, you're ahead of the game let me tell you <laughs> congratulations on that <laughs> i mean <laughs> that <you>. sincerely <laughs> i thought i was late you know because to me it's like you know how far away are we getting to familial con- connection that we're not learning these kind of principles like we hear stories in the past of you know a grandfather telling a granddaughter in native american culture that you have two wolves there's one that's darkness one's mm-hmm. light and the one that wins the war is the one you feed like right. there's these little stories that mean so much to the development of a child but when we are abs like when we're absent how yeah. the youth is going to raise themselves and it's like the blind leading the blind because the hyper stimulation we get online the access of a bunch of information and then the oversaturation of information where we don't even know what's reputable anymore and then people strike out and so then you have you know um nightclubs being shot up and high schools being shot up and people are like oh you know that's terrible um you, you reminded me of there's, there's another um indian i don't know if it's indian or i've heard it in, from a lot of different cultures um there are these two white people who are on a being uh, taken on a tour and through the land and it's the um and the the guides so there's a couple of guides and there's um there's a p- bunch of people on the on this a bunch of white people being guided by a couple of guides and and they're they're going and going and going for a while and then all of a sudden the guides just stop and they sit down on the ground and the white guys are like well where why have we stopped why you know why but the white guys now could be you know represented by americans in general it's not it's not really a, a that kind of a thing and they say why have we stopped and and the guides say we have been traveling a very long way. We must wait for our souls to catch up. And I just love that. It's like, yeah, we just keep going, 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 but we're not, we're not integrated as we go. And yeah, we've just lost that. And some of the ancient civilizations or the older civilizations, they knew that, you know, they knew that. And, and we just feel like, oh, that's nonsense. You know, let me just, I can find that on my computer in a second. And, and, you know, and if it, and if your internet goes down, you know, I want to smash my computer. It's like, Hey guy, you know, it's like, it's more of a miracle that it's been working than than it went down. (laughs) It's so true. Like when my phone dies, I'm like, Where's my charger? And it's like, I'm like noticing myself like, wow, I'm totally like worshiping this false idol right now by, yeah, the fact I have to ask myself, who am I without social media is like an addiction. You know what I mean? Like when I think about when I like, let's let's say for instance, I'm like smoking a lot of like green and I'm like, who am I without this? Like, it's like, I'm asking that for my phone and I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, there, I think there was a time. I mean, I think a lot of people have, at least from from my age, I'm I'm from the, I'm a child of the '60s almost. So, um, you know, where people used um, substances, we'll say, in a way that was they were really looking to find themselves, 
it was more of a way to accelerate introspection. Um, if it was used in like, uh, like really moderation, like a little bit, you know, but once that became, but, but, but that triggers that I want more of that. I want more of that. I want more of that. And then, and then all of a sudden you're off to the races literally, and you can't get enough because you never get that initial, that initial high, whether it's from getting your first, um, you know, if, not that I've ever experienced this, but, you know, like making your first million dollars <laughs> is the second million going to give you that same, like, wow, look what I accomplished. You know, I don't know. I don't think the second million does the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's like, you know, the first time that you, you know, had a couple of drinks and really enjoyed dancing with someone you thought was amazing, you know, then the next time it, it's still, it's good, but it's not the same. It doesn't give you that same newness. And the more you do that, the less appealing it is, so the more you might chase it. And that's, you know, it's a problem. Yeah, that's the trap. And I love that you mentioned striking out in the, like, in our conversation, because I was, I was curious. Uh, why do Fishins practice the sellout to corporate energy uh, entities? Um, what would were, what were happen if doctors decided to band together and strike? Um, you are like the f- fourth or fifth medical professional to mention the same problems mm. about the insurance company not paying. There's a lot of us out there. <laughs> yeah. So what would happen if you guys got together and went strike? Well, the so world- a lot of people, a lot of people um, are afraid. They, so this is what happens. Why do we? Why do we sell out? Um, what's happened is that ever since insurance has got involved. And our payments come from insurance companies. And the insurance companies, um, they negotiate a different reimbursement with every single different doctor or practice. So if you have a practice with three doctors and you have a healthcare system with 3,000 doctors, the insurance company will pay, let's say, the same cardiologist from the healthcare system will get five times the compensation than the solo cardiologist gets for exactly the same visit and procedures and everything else. So it became, but in addition, now there's so many more requirements for um, documentation and you actually need to add staff in order to fulfill the requirements. So doctors couldn't survive as solo practices. So they ended up getting bought up by these places that would, you know, guarantee their income. So, and the, the income for physicians, even part of these healthcare systems is going down. The CEO's income are going up. You know, the, the pharmaceutical industry's incomes are going up. People think, oh, the doctors are so greedy, but it's, it's not the doctor, most of the doctors. I mean, so if you're a plastic surgeon, you, um, you don't, you can be on your own because most of your, you know, most of your clientele is non, non insurance, they're, they're cash pay. And I do know, I have a very dear friend who's a plastic surgeon, and he is not one of these, um, you know, he's not a greedy person who's, you know, he does plastic surgeries, but he also does hand surgery. He told me, um, and he doesn't like, you know, he doesn't nickel and dime people. If somebody needs something, he, he does it. He's had a patient who had broken, um, three bones in her hand. No, uh, she ripped two, three tendons in her hand and they needed to be repaired. And, uh, the insurance company said they would only pay for one at a time. So he should open her up three times 
three separate times and do each tendon, you know, in order. I mean, of course, he did not do that, but he did comment about it and say, you know, this is like ridiculous. So, you know, they're, they're just even, you know, it's, it's really, it's a problem that started with insurance and is magnified by the fact that the people who own the large medical practices are not doctors. They're, you know, they're hedge fund owners um, or insurance companies. And when it gets to a point, I, th- I personally think the whole healthcare system in this country is going to implode in the next few years. It's not sustainable. The patients are not happy with their relationship with relationships with their doctors because they they have to get sort of pushed through really quickly and we have to do that because we have to see a certain number of patients per day and we can't you know if the person down the line has to wait too long they're going to complain and you know and that all falls back on us so you know we're just trying to juggle the best that we can but when that happens you know the the people who own these these you know these big i call them vulture capitalists um they're just going to, if they see it's not going well, they, and they, they, they think that the stock's going to tank, they're just going to sell because they don't care. And, and then they'll go invest their money somewhere else and get their money from somewhere else, you know, because they're not, they don't have a vested interest in taking care of human beings. They haven't, for them, it's like, oh, we can make a lot of money in this field. Oh, and yeah, we could say we're taking care of people at the same time. As opposed to, I think most doctors, when we went into medicine, we thought, Oh, I'd love to take care of people like this and maybe save a life here and there. And, and I know that if I do this as a profession, you know, I'll, I'll be financially stable. You know, it's like, it's a reverse, you know, so the, the motivations are different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, that's it. This is why it's not a conspiracy to think that the 1% is like running things because they pay for everything. Like I was just speaking to a social security um, employee and he was like head of administrations and he was saying like often the government gives us taxes to pay high amount of taxes for social security benefits and not from him but from another source uh, taxes for education and they'll even like in Texas make a one whole household family pay $10,000 towards education for public schools and then the state, the government, will reallocate that money to whatever projects that they're privately doing without any consent or information for the citizens that are paying the taxes. We look back in mm-hmm. history, what happened to no taxation without representation? Right. All of us are too distracted on our cell phones to realize that we're being taken advantage of and it's evident that we're being treated as cattle. And it, we're being referred yep. to cat, as cattle all the time, even in the Bible. And I love that you mentioned before you follow directions, what is your the person making the demands agenda? Because that was the question that was always in my mind when I actually got introduced to like biblical study. Because the first thing that I noticed was, who wrote this book? There's no way one guy wrote this book. And if this is God's word, why was it written by a man? And then like that's just one aspect of like this whole thing that we call news. Like the fact that our history books in every country is different, says a lot. And then with the government and the, our, our social culture, because it starts with our social culture, they kind of warm us up before they start dropping things. Mm-hmm. We got our rights being taken away of Roe versus Wade. In New York City, because I'm not vaccinated, I can't go to school. That means I can't get a better job. That means I can't provide for my family. And that means I can't provide for my state. 
And I can't be a service to my community with an education because I'm using my rights as an American and not use an experimental vaccine that they're now finding can cause heart problems for people in my age group. You know, so it's like, when are we going to have a reform? And who's it up to? It's going to be up to us. And I'm not saying like we should protest, but there's a lot of suspicious issues coming around here. And every time I watch our politics is as if I'm watching an episode of WWE. Yes, exactly. I call it like, it's a football game. Everybody in Congress, they're just, they're just football players trying to win, you know, they're just trying to win the game and it has nothing to do with serving the people. And it's a shame about, so the vaccination that should, medicine and politics should never have crossed. Okay. So one of the reasons that people are hesitant about the vaccine is that there were mixed messages that were being put out. And those messages were because, again, got to please everybody. You don't want to say something people are going to be unhappy with. So it wasn't okay to just present it. You know, the vaccine actually is not that experimental. Um, It's been used, you know, in other ways long before it was dedicated to COVID. Um, And a lot of the side effects, I mean, there's side effects to every vaccine. And sometimes some of them are, you know, not very good. And so it's, it, but it was, became such a political point that, you know, people who wanted to think about what they were doing were like, I'm not doing that. You know, when, when they, you know, you're not, how do you know if you're making that decision based on real data? You know, how do you know? Because there's the people who want you to take ivermectin, you know, (laughs) and, you know, and it's like, and it's a whole, and even among my colleagues, some of them are, you know, um, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to talk about vaccines right now. Just the point of how do you know which side of the information channel is correct? You know, how do you make an informed decision? You know, democracy is, is dependent upon an informed and educated population. And we don't have that anymore. Even the people who want that, who want to be those things, it's just, it's so, cumbersome to educate yourself even about something small and you know and but to educate yourself about everything like it's not possible it's not possible and i think that's what that's what the proverbial they that's what they count on they count on you're not being able to really delve into the nitty-gritty of all these things so they can you can just have it fired upon you and and then you, you like throw your hands up in despair and, and, and that's a way of being controlled too. I mean, I think we are like the cash cows, you know, and I don't want to be a cash cow. I'm kind of like more of a pescatarian these days. I'm just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> where do we get our beliefs and opinions and why is it so hard to let in ideas to be tolerant of others differences? I've noticed that in our culture right now, there's a lot of things coming up with cancel culture where again, like what you're saying is being spotlighted in the fact that if someone has a different opinion you're like labeled aggressive um you know a a rebel and then like you get canceled like poor kanye west going through that right now and like many other people who are kind of getting like their freedom of speech bypassed and they're getting kicked off social media platforms i would love to hear your insights on how our thoughts aren't really our own well, you know, if there's something like the Kanye West thing, I mean, I think that it's important when you're in a, I think you have a responsibility if you're that public a, fig, a figure to not say things that incite, um, incite, you know, the, the sort of um, stereotypical or, or the, that incite people to be, to be racist or to be, you know, um, it's, 
people, I think that, that was the problem with Trump for me. Uh, there were a lot of problems with Trump, but um, he encouraged people to be racist. He encouraged people to be anti-Semitic and he made it okay. Now, the thing that scared me more than Trump was all the people, and still scares me, are the people that that follow him. And I just don't understand it. it it's got to be like a cultist thing, which is like you kind of lose your mind and those things and you just kind of get led along. But um, I think that you have to be careful that you don't say something when you know that there's all these people who are hanging on your words. You know, I mean, it's great that you made it to such fame and fortune, but you have the responsibility to not be rude and to not put down, you know, an entire culture. You put down Jews and all the people who follow you are going to go right for that. And me as a Jew, am very sensitive to that. Um, and so, and if he had done that, so he's, he's African-American, but if he were a white guy and said something about the black culture, you know, you'd have the same thing. And so you have to be careful about what you say. I have no idea what his feelings about Jewish people are. Um, I don't really, uh, I don't respect the man for, for not being responsible. I mean, that's something that when you have power, you need to have responsibility. And he has a lot of power, or he did until all these places started dropping him. And, and I can't say I'm sorry, because I think that it's important that people, you know, see that, okay, you can't just do that. Because there are too many morons out there who will just believe whatever you're doing and saying and follow you and say, yeah, 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 let's do that too. Let's, let's go put swastikas on the synagogues. And, and you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's been bad. I mean, you know, I, I belong to this um, secure, community security um, com uh, community, and we hear about all the anti-Semitic um, threats and, you know, it's no joke. I mean, just like there are, are churches that have been shot up or, or gay, gay nightclubs, there's been synagogues who've been shot up. And, you know, we don't, we don't want that. What we want to in, inspire people to accept each other and accept each other's differences. If you have, find yourself in that kind of a position, you should use that power for good. You know, I think you have an obligation to use that power for good. And not to um, accentuate the the issues that people are having that cause violence. So um, I'm kind of on the other side from you with that, um, but that's okay because we can have a different point of view and not necessarily have to fight about it. Right? You can hear my side. I can hear your side, and 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 we may not even agree. We can just we may just agree to disagree. But as to you know where the where the ideas come from, they come from our families first, then our friends, then our organizations that we want to belong to and fit in with. They come from all the messages we get on social media or just on the internet. They come from the government. They, you know, it's a lot of it is subliminal. Um, it, they come, they, we're just hit. Like you said, you know, we're, there's so much ADD going, I call it an attention deficient society. And, you know, we, we have to sort of guard against that. And it takes a lot of energy. And a lot of people don't want to put in that energy. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I'm not on particular sides with the Kanye thing. Um, I was, you know, I was just seeing how, like, the influences of big people affect the public. But I agree with a lot of your perspective. I mean, he could have complained about the problems in his contract without, like, putting spotlight on a particular culture. Because at the end of the day, it's wrong to stereotype people from their ethnicity or 
beliefs because that's exactly what colored people go through. So it's like always mind boggling to me when there's reverse racism and there's like they like people who experience racism against them think that they can't commit the same act. But what it is, is when you stereotype a group of people based off of a particular experience you might have experienced or witnessed. And I agree, like, there's, that's not right, because, you know, the, the his, we have more in common, like you said earlier, than we have different. And that we should, and I agree, if we have huge power of influence, it should be about unity. And I like the way Dave Chappelle approaches, like, trying to, erect, like, rectify how we're actually, like, experiencing propaganda on a huge scale. And, you know, he just talks about the problem. And it's just like you said, just the facts, ma'am. Because we fill things in to justify our feelings, mm-hmm. which is the trap that keeps us reliving these same experiences. And like you said, our feelings don't justify our behavior. Exactly. So, I mean, it's okay to have feelings, but like I tried when I was raising my son because I wasn't really given, you know, I was sort of told what to feel, what to think, what to like, what to do. But I really, I recognized how, um, and, and it, you know, it wasn't intentional. It was just like, you know, that was what, what my, you know, my mother thought was the proper thing to do. And so, you know, I don't blame her in any way. She was trying to just make it in the world. She had her whole story of survival too. Um, but I tried with my son to, to let him express his feelings, but you still can't do that. Like, I know you're really upset with that, but I, I may have to do this with my cat. I have two cats who don't get along. <laughs> one, one cat I've had for 13 years. The other cat is new. She actually showed up at my door a year and a half ago. Um, very sweet, gentle spirit and um ask for nothing literally and my other cat just like nope not not letting so she's kind of trapped here in this room and one other room and 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 i talk to my cat all the time i know you don't like her i know but she needed us no we didn't need another cat you're right but midnight needed us and sometimes we have to do things that we don't like and it's okay for you to not like it but you can't touch her (laughs) and thank god i mean there's never there's been no physical contact no fur flying no blood no nothing like that it's just you know like so so my my first cat she'll she'll she would come out of the door and she'd look in the door where midnight was and i'd say sam her name is sammy cat and sam i say sam and and she would, she would turn and walk. She'd be walking away. She'd look over her shoulder at me and she'd go, and she'd keep walking. And it was like, okay, you can express it to me. That's fine. But you can't, you can't act on your feelings all the time. It's perfectly okay to have your feelings. And when we don't allow ourselves to have our feelings, that's when it, it blows up because at some point we can't contain them anymore. So I'm a big, I'm a big animal lover. So sorry. <laughs> Me too. And I, I love the analogy and it's so true. And um, I love, I love speaking with you, Deborah. Thank you so much. Wonderful. for sharing. And I would love to have you on again because I feel like there's still more things that we can still talk about. Uh, I love the flow that we had and, and I love your perspective. I think you touched upon the human condition and the modern era. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's exactly what I'm trying to write about. And that's what in, in my my new books, you know, on, on the planet Meraki is going to be really an exploration into and, and, and even in pillars, it was like, how do we how do we survive and be better people? Well, we have to change not just our behavior, but we have to change who we are. We have to change the human condition. And, and that means we have to evolve. So that's what I'm what I'm aiming for but this has been so much fun I'm so so glad that you invited me and I would love to come back whenever 
And thank you so much. Absolutely. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank if you, you too. If you're interested in reading Deborah's books, because I know I am, check out her website in the description below. We'll also include Deborah's social media links so you can stay up to date as to when she launches her next book. All feedback is welcome and it helps us serve our fellow Matrix members to stay up to date with our Matrix mentors and what we have in store for you. Bookmark our website and subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. It was great to have you with us on the Organic Matrix show and we'll be seeing you on the following download.